interact with the, the black Bibles around you or the Bible that you brought with you. I hope that you have your Bibles. If you do, open them up to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. It's on page 761 in the black Bibles around you. Grab one of those. If you don't own the scriptures, if you don't have a tactile copy of it, that is our gift to you. We want you to have it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. We have just finished uh, four weeks in uh, considering the Lord's Prayer, the template that Jesus gave his disciples uh, to teach them to pray. They had requested that he would teach them to pray. And I'm wondering, over these last four weeks in uh, January and then also the first week of February, so actually five weeks, if you've noticed anything missing in our gathering as we have, uh, as we have looked at and learned from Jesus teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Have you noticed anything missing? Has it occurred to you that we have not called you to corporate prayer beyond praying along with somebody who is up here leading our prayers? Has that occurred to you at any point, that we have uh, driven down here, we have uh, four weeks in a row, spent somewhere near six hours together, that's just if you're coming in and worshiping in this environment, not serving. We've come in, we've spent about six hours together learning how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and in the cumulative amount of time that we have spent together as a church family has been somewhere in the realm of 10 to 20 minutes praying. Has that occurred to you? Have you noticed that at all? Has it translated into a better prayer life for you? Has learning the Lord's Prayer translated, in, translated into a better prayer life for you? Are you praying the Lord's Prayer on your own? Have you prayed the Lord's Prayer with other believers throughout the month of January and February? Are you praying the Lord's Prayer in community with friends, with roommates, with family, with your missional communities? Um, I'm struck by the fact that uh, as a church, it's very easy for us to gather to be taught but as we are taught, sometimes there can be a great and dangerous gap between actually practicing and putting into practice what it is that we're taught. It's entirely possible for us to drive down here, to learn from God's Word, to gather knowledge in our heads, but not ever actually become a practitioner of it in our own lives. Is that an easy temptation for you to just roll out of here, to let the teaching roll right out of your brains and just to go on about your business? It's dangerous for us. So if we neglect to become practitioners of God's Word, what that means is that we're hearers of God's Word, but not doers of God's Word. And there's specific warning in the New Testament about hearing God's Word and gathering knowledge, but yet not letting it come out of our way of life and our lifestyle. And this is what it means if we are hearers of God's Word only, but not doers of it as well. This is what it means to be, be literally an unloving follower of Jesus. Why do you pick that word, Jared? Why unloving? Maybe you're not consistent, but I don't see you being unloving. I'm taking that actually from, uh, from Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 14, 21. He says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then he'll go on in John chapter 14 to give the negative view of that. If you don't keep my commands, then you don't love me. So now as a church family, we're moving into this subject of fasting, which is as normative to the Christian life as giving to those who are impoverished and praying. The discipline of going without food for the purpose of coming to God in desperation and in need is as normative to the Christian life as giving and praying. Has anybody ever said that to you before? Look at John, uh, I'm sorry, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 with me. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' great sermon, his body of teaching in Matthew. He says this. Thus, when you give to the needy, his expectation is for his followers to give to those who are in need. Look again at verse 3. But when you give to the needy. Look at verse 5 under the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Then look again at verse 7. And when you pray. Look at verse 9. Pray then like this. And he shows us how to pray. Now look at verse 16. And when you fast. Look at verse 17. But when you fast. Jesus' expectation here is not if, but it's when. So the question for us this morning, and the question that I want to ask and that I've been asking myself is, will we do the same here as we have done with the Lord's Prayer? Will we learn about this discipline of fasting, but not necessarily practice it? No, we won't. Here's why. Because fasting is not a standalone discipline. It is a coupled discipline. What I mean by that is that when we think of fasting, when we think about the discipline of fasting, it is meant to take us in desperation to God. It is meant to take us to him in our need. We say prayer and fasting, fasting and prayer. A follower of Jesus does not fast without praying. Otherwise, you're just going hungry. That's what that is. We're just going hungry if there's no prayer involved. At least I could say this, that it's not Christian fasting. So what is Christian fasting? I'm calling it Christian because fasting as a discipline for health benefits and spiritual benefits, it's, it's in vogue right now. It's in, in our culture. We have intermittent fasting. We have fasted cardio. We have different ways of trying to train our bodies to respond to a lack of food. And there are health benefits to fasting, but just because you're fasting, it doesn't make it uniquely Christian. So I want to give you some definitions just to get your uh, heads and your hearts around what Christian fasting is. And so this morning is going to be kind of a 101 around the discipline of fasting. And then next week, we're going to work this idea um, in more depth into our lives and and gain some understanding and practice it with one another as well. So Christian fasting defined. I've got three definitions up here. The first one is from a woman named Adele Calhoun. She says, fasting is the self-denial of normal necessities in order to intentionally attend to God in prayer. Donald Whitney, 
Uh, We went through his book, Praying the Bible, earlier this summer. He's also written a book on the spiritual disciplines. He says, a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. That's what fasting is. It's a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for what? For spiritual purposes. And then a man named Richard Foster who has done great work around the disciplines. He also says, the voluntary denial, fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I love Donald Whitney's definition here because biblically the fasting that we see in the Bible, it always involves food or the lack thereof. That's what we see in the scriptures. But Adele Calhoun, she tends to widen it out a bit in her definition, and she includes it's the self-denial of normal necessities, things that we regularly indulge in or go to in order to, we, we withhold, we deny ourselves these creaturely comforts for the purpose of intentionally attending to God in prayer. And then Richard Foster, he kind of gives us this view of intense. It's for the purpose. Fasting exists in a spiritual sense for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Fasting is designed by God to move us to him in need. Christian fasting is designed by God to move us to him in need. Fasting reveals our dependence and it drives us to dependent prayer. Fasting, as we bring our attachments to food and other things to the surface through fasting, it opens up a place for us for prayer. It creates space in our day and reminders in our bodies to attend to God in prayer. It's meant to humble or literally afflict our souls before him, recognizing he is creator and we are creature. That's why we fast. So here is what we're doing as a church. We're moving into this work which gets our own prayers firing by exposing our need and humbling our souls. So if you're unsatisfied with your prayer life, May I submit to you that fasting is a great next step for you, that you open yourself up to the discipline of fasting. So let's learn from Jesus here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. He says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. You can see his humor coming through right there. He's just mocking them. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word. First thing that I see here in this text is that fasting is expected when you fast, not if you fast. When you fast, not if. Jesus expects those who follow him to obey and practice what he teaches. So if I told you that fasting is an essential Christian discipline, how does that sit with you? Just posited that before you just a little while. As essential as giving or praying, fasting stands alongside there. And now, I, I, alongside them, I understand that there may be some in the room who, at this moment, uh, through a relationship with food or through physical limitations, uh, you are resistant to the idea of fasting, or you're perhaps uh, formulating objections to why that would not be good, or you've just you, your your relationship with food has been very difficult. There may be medical conditions that you are dealing with that make fasting from fruit from food an impossibility for you. I am not laying guilt on you and the Holy Spirit does not lay 
guilt on you as well. He knows our needs. He knows our conditions. He knows where we are. There may be other essential ways for you to participate in fasting. So I want you to know that he sees you and hears you, that I see you and hear you. And at the same time, if there are, if there are simply objections because of discomfort, I want to ask you to consider what fasting is and why it's important, why it's even an essential Christian discipline. A man named V. Redmond, Raymond Edmund uh, said this on the disciplines. He was the fourth president of Wheaton College and Seminary, if you're familiar with Wheaton. Uh, he said this in the, in the 1960s, ours is an undisciplined age. Now he's speaking of the Christian disciplines. We're in a series called Rhythms of Grace, looking at spiritual formation and the disciplines necessary to move us onward in maturity to Christ. He says, ours, speaking broadly, is an undisciplined age. The old disciplines, or spiritual disciplines, are breaking down. Above all, the discipline of divine grace, it's derided or looked down upon as legalism, or it's entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. We need the rugged strength of Christian character that can only come from discipline. He's compelling us to look at our way of life and to consider disciplining ourselves into rhythms that God has provided, necessary, ordinary paths that he has provided us to experience him. Now, personally, until this week, I have treated fasting as an optional Christian discipline. Until this week, until my studies, I have viewed it as as optional. And now I personally am confronted with the fact that I see fasting now, my mind has been changed by God's word, that it is an essential Christian discipline. There, uh, fasting, it, it has ancient roots. Uh, the Greeks have, uh, have a, gr a monstrous body of work and history around fasting going as far back as uh, the 6th century B.C., uh, fasting is known. We, we have historical record of fasting occurring in cultures all across the world, particularly in native cultures around spiritual uh, rites of passage and physical rites of passage where people would, would afflict themselves with hunger in order to prove their mettle, so to speak. Uh, it's, fasting is a significant discipline within the religion of Islam. So during Ramadan, in the spring, there's a 30-day period where Muslims will go without food during daylight hours, and they'll also go without things that they consider to be sin or bad habits, sometimes even refraining uh, from sex in general uh, through this period of Ramadan. It's a, it's a very essential discipline for them as well. But some of the most well-preserved and historical examples of spiritual fasting, they actually come from the Hebrew Bible and from our Greek New Testament. We see it first in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, and it says, quote, he neither ate food nor drank water for a period of 40 days. Now, if you have any background in medicine whatsoever, you know that that is an impossibility. Yes, it is an impossibility. It's what is considered a supernatural fast because Moses could not sustain his own life outside of God keeping him alive. We see something like a supernatural fast only one other time in the scriptures when another prophet named Elijah, he was on the run from a, a wicked queen of Israel uh, named Jezebel, and uh, he was preparing himself to, uh, pre to meet with 
God with the Father on a mountain physically and spiritually. And 1 Kings 19.8 tells us that Elijah arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that present food in his body 40 days and 40 nights to a place called Horeb, the Mount of God. In both cases, these prophets were preparing themselves spiritually and physically for a physical, audible encounter with God. A supernatural fast, it's where a person goes without food and water longer than is humanly possible. So don't do that one unless you consider yourself to be a prophet on par with Moses or Elijah, and you have heard from God, and he really, 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 really wants you to do this. But we do have a significant record of other far more accessible fasts in our Bibles, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I want to bring three before you really quickly. Uh, We have normal fasts, we have partial fasts, and then we also have absolute fasts. A normal fast is where a person abstains from all food, but not from water. We abstain from food, but not from water. Drink as much as you want. For example, Jesus in the wilderness, as he was being tempted by Satan in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the record says this, the Dr. Luke says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he, Jesus, ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, da-da-da, he was hungry. Yes. He was very hungry. That is a normal fast where he was likely finding brooks, finding natural water in the wilderness to be able to drink and hydrate himself. Forty days is near the limit of human ability. We also have partial fasts, and a partial fast is one where a person would limit their diet but continue eating and drinking. So maybe the most obvious or famous one is in our Old Testament. It's uh, Daniel and three of his Hebrew friends as they were in captivity by the Babylonians. The Babylonians had enlisted these guys into their service to be leaders of the Hebrew people who were enslaved, and Daniel did not want to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and he asked this person that was training him, hey, let us just eat vegetables and drink water for this tryout period and see if that suffices and see if our skin and our complexion and the way that we look is okay. And sure enough, they looked well on just vegetables and water for a period of about 21 days. That's a partial fast where you're limiting your diet. But there are also absolute fasts, and an absolute fast is where someone will go without food and water for a period of time, both food and water. The human body doesn't live beyond about three, four, five days without hydration. There are some accounts, but they're, uh, they're sketchy at best. Uh, Esther, in your Old Testament, she called the Jewish people to pray as a plot against the Jews were discovered, And she was about to go into the king, uh, and she had called the people of Israel. There had been an edict that was, or or a decree that was issued um, by someone who was underhanded, wanting to take out the Jews, who had the king's ear. And this edict went out by the king to destroy the Jewish people, where this plot was uncovered by Esther and her uncle Mordecai. And she called the people of Israel to a corporate fast, where they would go without food and water and afflict themselves in a big way, calling upon the Lord to change the king's mind, which did happen in the scriptures. You'll also notice that in Acts chapter 9, as the apostle Paul became a believer, once a persecutor of Christians, now a believer in Jesus Christ, fresh off 
off of his experience with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. It says that after that experience, the Apostle Paul took no food or water for a period of about three days. He was deeply rethinking his life at that time. The last thing that I'll say about different kinds of fasts is that there are individual and there are also private fasts. And then there are corporate fasts, national fasts, congregational fasts as well. The bottom line is this. When we think about fasting, if God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, tells us to fast or implies that we should, we should obey him. We should fast. His working assumption is when you fast, not if you fast. And another thing that he says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, is that our posture when we are fasting, it's important to him. Our posture, our internal attitude, our external behaviors, our posture is important when we fast. Jesus, notice, will give us two commands in this text, verses 16 through 18. He'll give us two commands, and then he'll give us one promise. The first command comes as a negative command. Don't do this. The second command comes as a positive command. Do this instead. And then he ends with a promise. The promise is that the Father who sees us will reward our coming to him and our fasting. When you fast, don't look like you're fasting. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. He says here, they disfigure their faces as they would be fasting publicly before the people of Israel to see. They would literally put on a look on their faces that would tell the people of Israel that they're fasting. So the people of Israel would regard them as exceptionally pious. Oh, you could, I could never do that. Look at you. you these men must be holy. Look at the way that they are suffering for God. When we fast, when we go without food, it's going to be hard, and you're probably going to find yourself wanting sympathy at some point or wanting a pat on the back. Essentially, Jesus here is telling us to stuff it. Stuff that. You got that? You want that sympathy? Stuff it. Ladies, man colds, are they a real thing? Yes, they are a real thing, for sure. You may have a beard. You may have big muscles guys, but when you are down and out, it's likely that you want some form of doting and sympathy from the people around you. You're in some ways disfiguring that face so that you can get what you need, a little bit of care. If we advertise in a similar way, if we advertise our religious devotion and we feel good as we hear people say, wow, I could never do that. Wow. You're a mature believer. That's an indicator that we're after the praise and the reward of humanity, of our fellow men and women. What Jesus means here by saying, by calling them hypocrites, and by saying that these hypocrites will receive their reward, is that as they're making their acts of public devotion public, and they receive these compliments of the people, that will be the extent of their reward. That's it. Hope it feels good. They said good job. They said go get them. That's it. The Father says that he doesn't look on that kind of devotion when you're just after the praise of people. It's about your own ego, not your devotion to him. He is not going to reward that. Man's praise is fleeting. By craving the congratulations of people, we forfeit the, word, the, the reward of God. 
So this negative command here, don't do it like this. Then he turns and he gives us a positive command. And he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here. This is out of the message, which is not a translation of the Bible. It is a paraphrase of the Bible. And Eugene Peterson is a master of the Hebrew and Greek language and translating it into English, into our everyday vernacular. Listen to this. He's, I'm just quoting this text in his words. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. Listen to this part. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you are doing. He will reward you well. What Jesus is teaching us is to go on about our life like a normal person and to keep our fasting between us and God and those perhaps that we are also engaged in fasting with. Notice that Jesus also, he utters a promise here. He says, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we tend to look at fasting. I tend to look at fasting like loss. I've got to do that. I've got to deny myself some comfort, a lot of comfort, in fact. Fasting, as we look at it, we recognize it will cost us, and it will make us physically uncomfortable. It'll also make us emotionally uncomfortable, perhaps, as we get hangry. Right? And we miss, as we, as we count all of the costs, but we don't turn to look at the benefit, we miss the fact, or we can miss the fact, at least, that fasting brings us gain. This, this, this spiritual devotion between, before us and the Lord, between us and the Lord, it brings us gain. That's why he asks us to do it. The Father promises us reward. The Father will look in and listen in on fasting that produces dependent prayer. And Jesus, the man who is God, is promising that the Father sees and rewards. So here are two points on how the Father rewards us for fasting. There are myriad points here that I could name, but for the sake of just continuity and simplicity this morning, I want to bring, I want to bring two of them uh, before you. What does fasting produce in our lives? Number one, fasting, uh, it produces an awareness of the Father's provision for us. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day, our daily bread. We just learned that in the Lord's Prayer. Most days, we have no shortage of food to fill our aching bellies. But when we do fast, we are reminded of Jesus' words as he was being tempted by Satan. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes or that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Father, he is a miracle maker, and he uniquely and supernaturally provides for his people. He did this with, with Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness by feeding them manna from heaven. Jesus, as he was feeding the crowd of 5,000 and also of 4,000, he provided, after giving thanks to the Lord, he, 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 he broke bread and multiplied these loaves of bread and fish miraculously. Now, the Father also, he provides for us daily as he sustains ecosystems and food supply chains. 
that produce every calorie we, pur we purchase at the grocery store. Because we're a people who is no longer agrarian or agricultural, we go to a grocery store and we buy our meat and our vegetables all pretty in their little baggies right off of the shelves. And we as a people have disconnected much of our meat consumption and our vegetable and produce consumption We've disconnected it from the land that God sustains and makes away. There is not a calorie that you have ever eaten that God did not first create the building blocks to supply nourishment to your body. Not one. Not a drop of water on your parched tongue that he did not provide, that he did not see to it that it would come to us. Fasting, when we go without food, when we go without water, it brings us face to face with our need. An author named David Mathis, he said this, Only as we voluntarily embrace the pain of an empty stomach do we see how much we've allowed our belly to be our God. Only as we voluntarily embrace the pain of an empty stomach do we see how much we've allowed our belly to be our God. Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, Fasting teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly. It will certainly prove humiliating, humiliating to us as it reveals how much our peace depends on the pleasures of eating. Fasting, then, is a powerful tool. What it does is it enriches our enjoyment of Jesus Christ by bringing us before him in humility saying help while also revealing what we go to in order for comfort fasting also it intensifies this is my second point what fasting does a benefit for us it intensifies our spiritual desires fasting walks hand in hand with prayer it's a coupled discipline remember it walks hand in hand with prayer John Piper says, fasting reveals the measure of food's mastery over us. Or fasting from television or computers or whatever we submit to again and again to conceal the weakness of our hunger for God. You hear that line? Or whatever we submit to again and again to conceal the weakness of our hunger for God. And fasting remedies by intensifying the earnestness of our prayer and saying with our whole body, what prayer says with the heart. I long to be satisfied in God alone. Fasting helps us feel in our bodies what we long for with our own souls. And then the act and the discipline of devotion through fasting, it helps us bend our hearts toward him in desperate prayer. I want more of you. I want more of you. I don't hunger for you. I'm confronted with my lack of eagerness for you. Do you realize that as you pray, I want more of you, that this is a prayer that the Father delights to answer? Whenever we say, more of you, Lord, this is praying according to his will, and it's a prayer that he delights to answer. Every time, he will provide you with opportunities to find satisfaction in him. So I want to turn uh, the page and just give you a couple of points and ask you uh, to uh, walk this out in some application actually today. I realize, ladies and gentlemen, you may have meat on the smoker, you may have food in the oven, you may be salivating and your tummy grumbling right now for that food that you're looking forward to in just a few minutes. 
And I want to ask, this is not guilt. We live by grace. We do not live by the law. This does not earn your acceptance before the Lord. Jesus Christ is the one who earns our acceptance before the Lord, but he compels us to obedience. I want to ask if you would be willing to fast today. If you would be, will, if you would be willing to forego lunch and you break your fast when the sun goes down, which ironically is at 5 p.m. on the money this very day. So this is between you and the Lord. This is between you and your spouse. This is between you and your roommates. This is between you and whoever it is that is in your life. But I want to ask, would you be willing to fast today? Fast from lunch, forego lunch, and feel the pangs in your gut begin to compel you to hunger for God. Now, anytime we fast, it's very important that we fast with a purpose in mind. We don't just fast arbitrarily, but we fast with some purpose in our view. And so I want to put this um, purpose in view for you this morning. I want more of you, God. That's it. I want more. Compel me to prayer. When I feel my belly grumbling, when I feel those pangs internally, I want more of you becomes your prayer. And then as you think and you want to pray more earnestly, go to the Lord's Prayer and let the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 12, I believe, or 13, let that, let that form and give shape and texture to your prayers. And then every time that you feel hungry and you want to go to the snacks today, just even after lunch this afternoon, pray through that prayer. And if you stick something in your mouth by habit, because this happens all of the time, if you stick something in your mouth by habit and you realize it while you're chewing it, just spit it out. Or if you realize it after you've already swallowed it, whatever. Like, just continue to forego food. Oh, I didn't, you start to even recognize with that how much of a creature of just consumption that we are. So I want to just lay that before you. Stick to your guns and remember that we live by grace, not by law. Here's my last point of application that I want to lay before you. I want to ask if you would schedule one more fast this week where you forego both breakfast and lunch where dinner or a later night snack is your last meal and you forego, you consider foregoing breakfast and lunch and then just eat dinner, break your fast as normal and begin to feel in your body your creatureliness and let those feelings in your body compel you to spend that time and to take those urgings. Those are reminders. Those are alarms in the body that take us and bend our hearts toward God in prayer. This week, I'm probably going to do so on Friday. If you'd like to join me, no, I'm not looking for rewards by congrats. I think that's just the day that works out for me this week to do that. And consider a purpose for that fast as well. Might I suggest that your purpose be John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Let that be your motivator. Father, help me to be more obedient to your word. Help me to live out what I say I believe. Help me to not just take your teaching in, but to also employ it, and that I would become a pra practitioner of following you. 
not just a hearer of your word, but a doer also. Now, if you have dietary restrictions and this is just a, this, this is a no-go for you, what is that thing that you regularly go to on a day-to-day basis for you that, you, that you, you're just instinctually pulling out the phone, you're doing the thing, you're going to it on a regular basis? What does it look like for you to fast from some kind of a comfort that you regularly rely upon? It could be a partial fast, foregoing some portion of food or your diet. What might that be? Again, we're not putting the law on one another, but we are wanting to practice what God is calling us to. And remember this, fasting reminds us how Jesus gave up everything, even his very life, in order to bring us to God, in order to exchange his righteousness to us. He gave up every divine comfort and came to us for our sake. What does it look like for us to begin to put off some of the comforts in order to move towards him and hunger towards him? So I hope that you will fast with me today and fast again this week. And as you come next week, let's lean in. Let's just feel the feels and experiment and just see, what is this? What what am I feeling? What am I experiencing? Am I feeling? Ask the question, Lord, am I feeling? Do I have a sense that I am closer to you? And I think that you will find that you do have a sense of closeness to the Father. And it may be the case that you just don't feel a whole lot. I want to ask that you do not give up, that you continue to lean in because our spiritual practice our spiritual life, it's not dependent only on our feelings. It's dependent upon the truth of God's word, and it's a necessary thing that we obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you um, speak to us in a way today that is uh, unique? As we're wrestling with the discipline of fasting, uh, would you help us to lean toward it, not recoil away from it? Would you create in us a hunger for you? That we would find ourselves praying, not my will, but your will be done. And then we would find ourselves acting according to your word and according to your spirit who compels us. Holy Spirit, speak to your people today. Move your people out of these doors into application. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.